Hi, my name is Clay Toomey, and I am an ambassador for the Enneagram Prison Project. As we approach our 10th anniversary, we thought it'd be fun to sit down and have a chat with all the people who've had a major impact along the way with EPP. On today's episode, I travel to Minnesota to chat with two guides from our first local EPP community in the U.S. outside of California. I do want to mention here before the episode that there are a few brief mentions of violence and other similar things that listeners might find disturbing. So if you have any triggers around that, please respect your boundaries and listen with caution. So this is number seven, and this is easily the coolest room that I've sat and chatted with someone in. We're in your kitchen at your house. Yes. In fill in the blank city, Minnesota. St. Paul. Okay. I thought it was St. Paul, but I wasn't sure. So tell us who you are and anything that you think is relevant, and then we'll just go from there. So I'm Phil Gebengreen, and I am sitting in our dining room, and I'm looking around, and when we painted this room, our theme was gratitude. And so they're they're partly Thanksgiving colors, but they're also just bright colors. So I'm looking at orange and dark red and um, pea soup green and, and kind of lime green. And I love this room too. Uh, this kind of bright color um, makes me almost uh, desperately happy. This whole room, this whole house was white when we moved in. Yeah. Uh, now it's got color. It's not everywhere. all white now. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm looking, I, have, I see Christmas lights strung across. Uh, the top of the room, uh, I guess, like a, a sitting, like a living room, a sitting room area. There, uh, I, I, there's words written on the walls. We have, we have uh, gentleness, self control, love, joy, peace, patient, kindness. I'll let you read the ones. Generosity behind me. and faithfulness, trust. Yeah. We have a sign that says, "Let's go get lost." <laughs> All right. What else? I mean, this love, is love, kindness, is, forgiveness. Are you responsible for the decoration here? Yeah, this is what happens when a. Four, a type four and a type eight get married and say yeah. we want some color and intensity in our lives. And I know which is which, but if you don't mind, uh, tell us uh, your type and then also who's this four you're talking about. Yeah, so I am the type eight. <laughs> um, I, you know, and when when I started this Enneagram business, I, I really did think for 10 years that I was a type nine. And interesting. I've just been thinking about that recently be, because somebody reminded me that you know, the holy idea for type eight is holy truth. And, and that I remembered how much I care about the oneness of all things. And so when I read that for type nine, I'm like, yeah, I am a type nine because I care about the wholeness of all things. And of course, I care about it so much, I will like beat you up until you believe it too. And so I could not see that side of myself for 10 years. And so then type eight. So I am clearly a type eight and not a type nine. So we're not talking a few weeks. We're talking a decade worth of, of, of mistyping yourself. Yeah. So I, I will ask you this. This is, this is the first time I've had somebody tell me this. So I'm, I en enjoy where I'm at already in this conversation. What is it like that far down the road and especially, or, or maybe not even especially, but just as anyone who finally says, you know what, I've been wrong for a long time. And is it, a, is it, is especially, you know, as a guy, I don't even, I don't know if that makes it worse. If there's a pride thing in there, if there's a, like, I don't want to be wrong kind of thing. Like what's the process of, of admitting to yourself and then to other people that, Hey, by the way, I was wrong about something for a while. And I, and now I need to correct that. Or is it even that 
Am I even phrasing that question right? Did none of that even happen? Oh, thank you. No, I mean, I wasn't enough like in an Enneagram community at that time or like I had to um, do a forgiveness plea for how wrong I was for so long. It was it was really an internal journey. Um, And partly I don't think I'd gotten that deep into the Enneagram because I was the wrong type. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about peace and love and connection and belonging. And that's sort of enough for me. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of spiritual work about peace and love and trust and belonging. And so, and I was doing it with the full intensity of who I am. Then a a couple of things happened. The most important one of them by far is I had children and the mirror of having children and the rage that came up when I had children, the rage at my own autonomy Mm -hmm. being invaded. Like literally I can't sleep when I want to sleep. Mm -hmm. Like from that, you know, basic level of autonomy to just the little things my kids would do. And like, I mean, I would just have these moments of my, you know, precious little children and, you know, I'm a very, very large man. Yeah. So, so you're not a small dude at all. No, bringing yeah. my full physical presence and emotional energy and rage at this little, you know, four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old. And then being able to step back. And what actually happened is I went to a conference, was mm-hmm. cold eating it with someone I'd never been with before. Was with her literally about 30 seconds. We were laying out the handouts for the conference. And she said, um, do you know the Enneagram? And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said, you're an eight, right? And I'm like, no, I'm a nine. <laughs> but why do you say that? Yeah. And she said, well, you've only been in here 30 seconds and your energy already took over the whole room. She said, it's awesome. I'm an eight too. Mm-hmm. So I asked her to go to lunch with me and just say more. So said more. And uh, she started to describe my life as it actually, not my idealized self yeah. about beauty and truth and uh, wholeness and unity, but like who I actually was. And I, so what I was ready in a way I wasn't before. I, I could see myself in a way I couldn't before. Like, oh, I want to be about connection and oneness and unity. But what I'm so often about is like banging my head against the wall. I'm seeing all the places where it's not and it's making me furious. Um, I'm seeing these mirrors of myself and my little children and I don't know what to do with it. And so then I read the eight chapter, I think, in the Wisdom of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) Hello, self. And so that, and so it wasn't, uh, I I didn't have, because I don't like to be wrong. Right. Yeah, of course. But it wasn't like that. It was just, oh, this is a truth I was not willing to admit to myself before. Now I can't. Now it is making me miserable to the point I want to do something about it. And this is speaking truth. And so. Yes. From the, and that was just obvious. Like, I'm so not a nine. Yeah. I'm an eight. I, I always wonder. So, so you know, I learned the Enneagram in prison. And in, in prison, it's very, or at least where I was locked up, it was very normal to, for the starting point for a lot of guys is type eight. Like in prison, yep. that's, yep. It's, it's safe to be a type eight. Mm-hmm. And it makes time easier when you're a type eight, it's, you know, theoretically, I guess. Um, so that for a lot of guys is a starting point and not even intentionally, like it just seems like, Oh yeah, all this makes sense. And so I thought that too. And I'm, and I'm clearly not an eight for anybody who knows me. Um, I, I had this, 
I had this same kind of thing of like I stumbled upon the five and I was like, oh, I'm home. Like, this is cool. And for me, and and I'm all this prefaced because I want to ask if your experience was similar to this. For me, it felt like I'd been walking around in like the wrong size shoe. And they worked because they covered my feet and all that stuff. But when I found the right size shoe, now it was like, oh, this, I'm good. This is more comfortable. And it, it makes sense now. Is that, is it similar to what you experienced when you started looking at type eight and realizing that this is where, uh, I don't want to say home because it sounds kind of cheesy, but, um, to where that's the type that you clearly identify with. Um, yes and no. So yes, type nine clearly was not the right fit for me, but it was such an easy, lovely fit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really, tr- I, I was trying to protect myself because I was trying to protect myself from that deep honesty of, mm-hmm. of where my deepest healing needed to be. But I, I love to be in a nine, <laughs> you know. I, um, what is it about the nine that's so easy to, or fun to be or whatever? Like, why did you like that? Yeah, for me, because I mean, I could, I could tell myself I didn't like conflict. Which I don't know. I don't know if anyone really like. Maybe sometimes you say you do, but I, 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 don't. I like it as a sport. <laughs> right. I don't like it as a way of life. I like it as a sport. See, but I would go to. I would be going to meetings, committee meetings at my church or in the community, mm-hmm. and and all the time I'd be right in the midst of the conflict. Half the time I'd be causing the conflict, but I could be telling myself I'm all about peace and unity, and so. It was a comfortable lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like uh, an uncomfortable. And I actually really do. Like I feel my energy rising in my body with how much I care about the unity of all being and belonging. So, I mean, I didn't have to pretend that at all. Like I care. Um, but I care about it with this like raging energy that's like a steam train. You know, mm-hmm. I care about it with an eight type energy, and I just could not, I couldn't see it. And so it it wasn't like putting on a more comfortable shoe, which is maybe not what you were saying, but it was like a willingness to look honestly in the mirror. It's not like I hated what I saw, yeah, but an on a willingness to look in the mirror and say, "Oh, my real issues are." Mm-hmm. there so we kind of started uh like 10 years into your journey it was where this conversation began and i and I, one of the things you know i told you i don't prepare i don't like have a list of questions and and it, it sometimes it may be obvious but this is one of the few things that i definitely wanted to ask you on the front end of your enneagram journey where you first learned about it how you first came about it all that stuff a, a very typical conversation that I have with people, I grew up in the Bible Belt. So for me, the symbol itself was like a problem. You know, it looked weird. It looked satanic. It looked something wasn't right about the symbol, right? Uh, And I know that you are, uh, I want to make sure I use the proper term. It's pastor, uh, minister. Okay, pastor. Um, So I want to hear this answer from you. Like, what was your first encounter with the Enneagram? And did the symbol have... Uh, any kind of weird vibes to it or were you just like, yeah, whatever. Like what, what was your introduction to the Enneagram? Yeah. Well, I, I was introduced to it by a Lutheran pastor. So, so that's, well, that that's helps. one. <laughs> um, and I've always, um, I mean, I was raised in a relatively conservative um, Christian Dutch reformed um, denomination. Um, but I also have always had a pretty broad spirituality 
And and it's both a little bit of that rebel of the eight that I wasn't going to be limited by mm-hmm. some of the same. By the time I was introduced to the Enneagram, I had already left the denomination of my youth. Okay. And, you know, I was going to seminary in, in Berkeley. So I, I was already um, broadening my world pretty far. But no, I, I saw kind of the spiritual, the good spiritual, what, repercussions of the Enneagram. I, I could... I could sense what the good heartedness, the spiritual groundedness that it felt that I still feel to this day Mm -hmm. that the Enneagram comes out of. So, I mean, we could talk more about this because I find it fascinating, but that like I, my Christian theology and EPP theology, cosmology approach Mm -hmm. match really, really. I don't have to like set aside my Christian faith. I do kind of set it aside. I don't like even the first couple times in prison, every once in a while, I would try to make a little connection, Mm -hmm. partly because so many of the women in the class connection to what? Thank you for asking connection between, I would say something like, and this is the same kind of thing it says in the new Testament. Gotcha. When Paul says, partly because so many women in the class in Shakopee were Mm -hmm. clearly and really were really very faithful, Christian faithful kind of people. But every time I, it didn't feel good to me, um, even if I thought that was a really good connection, like it yeah. didn't actually work in the class. And so now I, I don't talk about that at all when I'm teaching an EPP, but inside of myself, what, like a highway, two lanes going the same direction. Yeah. I like that imagery. I think uh, I, I'm, I, I wonder now the flip side of that when you're when you're delivering a sermon, does the enneagram creep into do those thoughts that ideology whatever you want to call it, does that slide its way into Sunday morning sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's overt. And I've actually put up like flip charts and said, okay, like here's the nine types and here's a word for each of the nine types. So I've never like taught the whole enneagram mm-hmm. in a sermon. Um, but my whole congregation knows I teach the Enneagram in prison. I mean, the, the congregation sponsored me in my first guide training program. They, they literally paid for me to go through it. Nice. Um, they're super excited. Even more importantly, they saw how much I matured during the process. Like, they felt it. Yeah. I mean, my family felt it. My church felt it. I felt it. Um, so, one... Two, it shows up like almost every week yeah. in things like I make connections about head, heart, and body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so almost always there's inter- the interplay is in me constantly, so it leaks out all over. It's the yeah. other way to say it. Yeah, I, I, they totally. I, I just love the way that you describe that. We're talking about two lanes going down the same highway because it's not. They don't need to. They don't even need to intersect or cross or disrupt each other or interfere with each other or anything else like that. I've never heard it described that beautifully. So thanks. I like that. How did you? Uh, how the hell did you end up in prison? <laughs> When, and usually I ask that because you've been arrested or you've done some time, and you know maybe you have. I don't know. No, no. Um, although when I had my own kids and they started to go through elementary school, middle school, high school, 
Doing Enneagram work helped me remember more of my childhood than anything else. Having children then doubled down on that. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, as I started to get more honest with myself as a type eight, and the very, very few times my children would be sent to the principal, happened very, very few times with my kids. But I, I started to remember, I went to the principal's office a lot as a kid. And so all of a sudden I, I realized, like I even realized my privilege mm-hmm. that because I had a family who believed in me, because I had school administrators that knew I was not doing real damage, I was just challenging my teachers. My teachers needed a break from me. I could sit and chat with the principal for a while. <laughs> you know, I think fives and eights are similar to this. It's hard to punish us yeah, because we'll even enjoy pointless. the trip to the yeah. principal. Like I enjoy the fact that I can tolerate it. You, you can't. You can't deliver. You can't deliver enough physical pain that will make me submit. And you also cannot deliver any sort of, you know, mental distress that will make me crack or shame or shame. I'm. I'm. I feel to this day. I feel immune to just raw punishment. Now I feel bad about things. You know, I, I make mistakes. I do things, you know, I have kids. So even as a dad, I do things and I think, you know, that was not the optimal parenting strategy. That's a nice way of saying I messed up really bad. <laughs> and so I do, I, I have guilt and, and shame attached to those kind of things. But it, as far as like, if I'm, if the speed limit is 55, I don't care. I'm doing 70 if I want to, I'll do 50 if I want to. The ticket does not matter to me. So as a child, the principal's office did not matter to me. How about you? Super similar. And, <laughs> Shocker. And the thing that, um, you know, I would see the teachers use shame on on students. And one, it would make me angry. Yeah. Um, I'm like, how cruel. But it would also so clearly not work on me, mm-hmm. which is partly why I ended up in the principal's office, because the teachers used to shaming kids and like the heart types, they'll shut right down. They'll actually feel ashamed. Yeah. I wouldn't feel ashamed at all. And I would actually then be angry, like you're trying to to hurt my heart in the way you just hurt those other kids' hearts. And even, you know, well-meaning teachers, and they're trying to right. keep order in the classroom, but um, the temptation to use shame to control, and it so did not work on me. And then I think I would challenge even harder, and then eventually off I would go. So did you have, prior to, to, to doing the Enneagram work and going into prison and all that stuff, did you have any experience with incarceration with family or friends or anything else like that? Almost none. Okay. When I went, when I started with EPP and then went to prison, I mean, literally in California, you know, going to Maple Street and um, San Quentin and then here at Shakopee Women's Prison in Minnesota, I, I looked at my wife, Luna, and I said, have I been talking about going to prison for the last 20 years? And she said, yes, you have. And so, I mean, we were talking uh, earlier when we were eating dinner together about calling. And and I don't, I don't even, you know, you think as a pastor, I completely know what I'm talking about around the word call. And, and I don't yeah. is the answer. But something, something was calling me for, for years. Yeah. Um, and, and what? I was a pastor. I had opportunities to do Bible studies in prison. There's lots of Christian programs yeah. that go into prison. And none you of never them, did any of that? None of them were even okay. tempting. Like, yeah. I even would look at them now and then. Yeah. And I did not think, I love the Bible, by yeah, the way. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I, I love to talk about faith stuff, spirituality, all, all of that. 
but doing it and it just did not feel right. And when Susan Olesic and um, Vic and Lance and Diane White showed up in Minnesota at the end of 2017 and made a presentation to the Minnesota chapter of the International Enneagram Association, immediately that like, ba-ding! Yeah. And again, whether that's God speaking, I have no idea what that is, but this immediate that. I've actually never had it that clear. I didn't have it that clear with seminary, wow. with, with nothing else. Uh, I can't. I literally can't think of another thing in my life that in a, like a five-minute period, I thought, I am doing that no matter what. And I, by that night, I was in. By I think the next Sunday, I had told my congregation, I'm going to prison. This thing happened, and I want to <laughs> teach the Enneagram in prison. And and literally a couple responded that day, came up to me after worship that day and said, how much is it going to cost? Oh, nice. And they're not a super wealthy couple, but they had just got, I think, a little inheritance from yeah. an aunt who died. And they said, boom, here's a check for $3,000. Wow. And so, like, the alignment that happened to send me to EPP and then going into prison, and it's felt... So no, I have like no history with prison or incarceration issues or policing issues or any of that. But there was an alignment that happened that has felt right ever since. When when Vic and Susan and the gang come up to, to do their presentation in 2017, what did you expect, if you even remember? What did what did you expect to hear about or what did what I mean, like, I don't know. I, I look at it from my perspective and I think like, all right, I'm just going to sit through another presentation about something and then I'll go, what's my next presentation after that or whatever. Right. Yep. Was it, did you have any expectations or did it interest you before that? Had you heard anything about EPP prior to that? Very little. And it was Alex. I said Vic, but okay. it was Alex. Okay. Um, and I went to a little dinner beforehand where and I ended up talking to Alex and I remember how like a nine I, by the way and I was scared to death of him yeah and he's I mean he's like the biggest teddy bear in the world but right um scared in what way I don't you don't strike me as someone who's 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 scared like in a physical you know like violence way or just what was it an intimidation thing What's, what's the fear? Question. What's the fear coming from? Right, and you know Susan tells that story about me all the time. When, when we did the one word share at the end of that night, when those of us who were interested stayed after mm -hmm. to talk to them, and she said, "What's our one word?" And I said, "Scared," and she immediately whipped her eyes up and looked at me and said, "Oh, an eight who's scared." I mean, so that night was a big deal. I think I was scared because I knew this was going to change my life. I think I was scared because um, Alex. And actually his, not not his like scariness, if this makes sense, not yeah. his intimidation, actually his like grounded, almost angelic presence. Right. And I'm like this, even though I had done a lot of Enneagram work up to that point, so now this is seven years after my conversion to eight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that description. By so, the way. you know, I've, I'm, I'm pretty aware of my eight, you know, type qualities at this point, but I'm, um, I can feel there's another, what? Oh, so I'm like pausing to say what I know, know is true, which is there was another death coming my way. I was going to have to give up a deeper level of my, what ego self but it doesn't feel like i have to give up my ego self that sounds like oh i want to do that of just myself 
and and Alex's big presence. I mean, so I could tell excuses like, oh, because he was a big black man. No, that was actually not scary to me. He'd been in prison. Like, that actually wasn't it. I actually think it was an invitation to aliveness that I heard in Alex and Diane and Lance and, of course, from Susan. And it it did. It scared me. How long after that was it until you stepped foot inside of a prison for the first time? That was November of 2017. So I spent the rest of November and early December filling out the EPP application, mm-hmm. filled it out, sent it off. That's a process. It is. <laughs> then you just don't hear anything because you think there's this whole group that's going to read it. And no, it's just, you know, at the time it was just Rick and Susan in their house. With a stack. Yeah, exactly right. And, uh, you know, didn't hear, didn't hear, didn't hear. Like it's the, the training is starting on like January 3. And I think on December 31, they say, congratulations. Yeah. And I might be exaggerating a little, but it was pretty close. It was a pretty quick turnaround. And uh, so started. Early January of 2018, GTP was like like two months. Okay. Went to the practicum, which was at Valambrosa. This mm-hmm. is GTP two in early 2018. I think I've got those years right. Yep. Um, and so then went to Maple Street at the. So this was probably March 2018. Went to Maple Street. Was then the first time I'd been in prison. So I did have a niece who got in trouble with some drug offenses here in the Twin Cities, and I visited her in prison, mm-hmm. and as far as I know, and it was it was a workhouse, so it wasn't mm-hmm. really, it was not like going into San Quentin, um, Maple Street, and then San Quentin for the two classes that evening in San Quentin. And by the end of that day, I was both completely exhausted and completely sold. Yeah. Like, this is astounding. What is it about going on the inside, going going inside, and um, you know, it's it's and describe anything that comes to mind, really, because I, I I want I want people who are listening who may have never been inside, even as a visitor or anything else. Um, what was it like going in, you know, to to meet people who, you know, before that I'm getting, you know, other than maybe visiting. Your your impression of prison is whatever you see on TV, right? So when you go in, you realize, oh yeah, this is not anything like that. There are some similarities. There's a lot of concrete. There's a lot of a lot of razor wire. Uh, there's a lot of people wearing the same clothes. Uh, what are some things that you perhaps did not expect? So I did not expect Maple Street was a deal, but Maple Street is a pretty. Um, in San Mateo County is a pretty a modern prison. And so there are big metal doors that close behind you, but it, that all feels um, pretty normal. And, and, you know, I'm in a little pod and they've got puppies and, you know, it was, it, it was a, a, a pretty easy environment. <laughs> but then that afternoon walking into San Quentin is like walking into a medieval fortress. And so the, like like you said, just seeing the razor wire, seeing the towers with the guns, having that old iron door clank shut behind you. But the thing that really got me, and I'm sort of laughing about it now, but at the time I was it like <laughs> kind of rage. There's a picture of the warden yeah. in, in the waiting room where you go between the locked doors as they let you in. Um, and the warden was just glaring at me. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just a picture. Yeah. 
Just the picture, right? Not the warden standing there, a picture of the warden on the wall. Um, And I like got into a, like a battle of wills, you know, with the picture of the warden. And this is both (laughs) ludicrous, but I I was actually standing next to to Susan and I was starting to shake. And it, it wasn't really from fear what it was from anger, but it was, I could start to feel, oh, like prison. And I mean, literally San Quentin prison, people locked away, but... I was also feeling the prison of my own making. I was feeling my own personality rise up as if I can win a battle of wheel, wills with the picture of the warden. Um, and so, right. I mean, the, the ludicrousness, but also I mean, it's the not realness. funny, but it's funny. It side. is exactly <laughs> right. And she said, wow, I'm just starting to, yeah. she, she could feel my energy going up and then going in there. And the main experience of meeting the men in this prison class in San Quentin was not people who were trying to battle wills with the warden. It, it was what welcoming, laughter, warmth, open-heartedness, courageous work. Within minutes of the first class arriving, Susan has split us up in one-on-ones, and someone is sitting across from me explaining how he killed his wife and lover in a in a jealous rage kind of blacked out mm-hmm. killed them and now he's in prison and like was the most one of the most gentle people I had ever sat across from so the me being afraid to do the deep work me who's been given every advantage to do it graduate school in spiritual a master in divinity which is crazily, you know, um, conceited thing to claim one has a master's in, in divinity. And now I'm sitting across from from people who are, are in San Quentin prison for years and years and years um, doing deeper work than I am, like clearly. I want to um, point out some irony, and, I, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Um, you talked about hearing Alex and uh, that, you know, invitation, I think, is, is the word that you used and how that that um, it brought some uh, fear for you, brought up some fear for you. And then a few minutes later, you talk about sitting across from someone in San Quentin and you kind of just glossed over this description in the story very easily about how they killed two people. And you didn't seem the least bit fearful of that in describing it. And what what is it about? Um, so first of all, it, I will say to the average listener, that would probably be odd. It sounds odd. It's not odd to me, of course. <laughs> you know, it's normal. Um, but to the, to the average, you know, uh, just standard person who might be listening for the first time and they hear that and then their brain they go wait well, what the hell you're scared of, you're scared of, you're scared of Alex talking but you're not scared to sit across from a double murderer uh-huh. how it it actually like you said I glossed over it because it doesn't even enter my mind and so it is partly the the crazy denial of an eight that at least bodily I feel kind of invulnerable but emotionally I feel. I was going to say the word stunted, and I don't, I, I hope I'm not emotionally stunted, but like that's where my growth edge is. Right. And so um, the, the complete open heartedness that I felt from both Alex and this man I was sitting across from in San Quentin was scarier to me than the thought of a double murder. That is, that is absolutely true. 
Does it feel like when you're talking to someone in, on the inside who's done something very violent, some, something that's very hurtful to others, or even in this case that they've killed someone, do, is it is it is it easy to forget what they've done or why they're there? That they're that they're violent criminals. Yeah. I- Another thing I clearly do when it's a gift and maybe is sometimes a problem, I'm trying to think if it's a problem, is I'm so caught in the now that Mm -hmm. right now, just like I'm sitting across the table from you, I was sitting across from this man. And I, by the way, I remember his name, but I'm just not saying it. So I'm like saying it in my mind. We we have the bleep button after the fact. Don't worry. (laughs) I can absolutely still picture him. And we are just having this beautiful connection. It's like one of the shining memories of my life. Like literally, there's kind of like a halo of shine around it. Um, And and I don't remember what the question is, but I'm saying that Mm -hmm. the beauty of that moment completely... My past, his past, our futures, like none of it even enters into the equation for me. I am just right there. I mean, aliveness and immediacy. If those are essential qualities of the eight, that was a moment when I felt like immersed in the essential qualities of my own type. What do you say to somebody who who hears that and and maybe doesn't quite relate to that and all they can think is screw that guy man he killed people why do we care about that guy he's he is just a criminal he's just a murderer and there are people um i say that a little flippantly but there are people who believe that and who feel that and it's and for whatever reason that's just where they come from in life and they're just like man, who cares about that guy? He's in prison. Why are we putting so much energy into someone who took people's lives? What do you say to that person? I would say one of my pet peeves is when interviewers ask interviewees to try to guess what other people are thinking and what they need to hear. I have no freaking idea. I'm not that person. And so I don't even say that flippantly. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually don't, like... I want to say all kinds of things, like get the freak over yourself. Mm -hmm. I want to say, hmm, there might be wisdom there that I forget. Like I'm not talking to this person, the families of the victims of this person. Like that would be another and tricky conversation. I don't actually even think I would be good in that conversation. Yeah, it's tough. Because I'm not not empathetic enough in some ways. Um, I... I forget that the past can be important. <laughs> I forget that the, you do need to think about the future. Um, I, I would certainly invite to live into forgiveness, but maybe that would even be really inappropriate. So I, I also come back to, I actually don't know. It's not a fun conversation to have. People, people throw that at me as an ex-con. I've heard people, I've literally had people tell me directly to my face, like, who are you? Like, you don't matter. Like, why do you, why, why should you, or even the fact that I wrote a book and they say like, why should you, why should you get profit from bingo? Why, why should you be able to go out and charge a fee to talk Uh, all your, you're just an ex con. And so my opinion uh, on the whole topic is a little skewed. I'm completely biased because I'm, (laughs) I'm on the receiving end of that trash, you know? I think it'd be weird if this was a business concept that I came up with and then, you know, Rod Banks went to prison, wrote a book as a business plan. That's just not what happens for for the curious, by the way. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so I don't know. I always, I kind of just wonder where other people are on that. Somebody who's, you know, for the most part lived as far as I know, a legal, you know, law abiding life. Uh, I wonder how the masses respond to questions like that. Cause they're out there, you know, and I think most of our listeners and most of the people in our community don't really, you never hear that, you know, nobody, nobody judges like that. And it's a pretty safe place for folks like me, which is why I love it so much. Yes. Okay. While I'm sitting here, thank you for saying all that. And that also gave me a minute. I mean, I I tell the story all the time. So most people in EPP have heard it, but when I went into prison, here's the, here's the biggest story I remembered when I started doing this work with EPP. I, I remembered how angry I was when my first son was born. And this is the story I always tell at the begin, the very first story I tell in, in prison. When you go inside. Exactly. The, like at the beginning of the first yeah. class, I say, hi, I'm Phil, and I live in St. Paul, and I'm an EPP guide. And I say something like, and I've got an anger problem. You just, that's your opening statement. Like almost literally. <laughs> I might have said like, welcome, here's your name tent, right. let's fill that out. And then I'm Phil and I'm an EPP guide and I have an anger problem. And right away, I mean, I've said this too before, right away, especially the eights yeah. who are kind of like pretending like they're not listening or, yeah. or goofing off. And all of a sudden the class stopped, like there's a literal pause and it's not because I just said that. Well, I guess it is because I said that. But then I say, and I didn't really understand that until I had my firstborn. And four days after my firstborn, I was done. I was toast. I was not sleeping. And I had my whole life invaded by this beautiful, cute little creature, but invaded. And so in the middle of the night after four days and breastfeeding was hard and not sleeping and crabbing. So my wife is sleeping like, God bless her. She needs rest even more than me. And I'm walking around the living room and so much rage came up in me towards this cute little creature on my shoulder that I wanted to whip him across the room and kill him. So I assume this happens in your community. It certainly does in mine where I read about the guy who hit his infant child so hard, you know, cracked his skull and he's damaged for life or Mm -hmm. choked his kid to death. And literally that's a, but for the grace of God, there go I. Um, kind of moment. And I tell that story in prison, and, but I tell that story um, to myself to remember, like, the guy was sitting across from San Quentin had a blackout moment and did not have the ability to stop himself, was not given the support he needed to be able to stop himself in that moment. I had the support. I had a wife who I could go to and drop my son off from, uh, to, and say it's time for breastfeeding, even though it was not time. Yeah. And so the other thing that this brings up for me um, is it's not just empathy. Oh, this poor person. Right. Um, it, it it's it's a connection that actually even the clarity about his crime gave me more clarity about my own life. And so part of what's going on when there's all this judgment is it's projection. I am projecting my own self-judgments and fears onto you, the bank robber, onto you, the murderer. And so easy to do with people in prison, clearly guilty. And see this stuff, now I'm getting mad. Like... That is just irresponsible 
projection. And people do it all the time. And it makes us feel justified, um, but it is violent. So, yeah, is a double murder violent? Obviously. Is projection violent and destructive? Oh, my gosh, it's happening every moment. How do I, as just a, as just a, another person in society, handle that? Not when it's towards me, but if I see it, it's easier to handle it when it's towards me. But if I see somebody behaving that way towards somebody else, um, and I know I'm just, this is a question that's on the spot. So if the answer isn't there, then I'm sorry, but I feel like you probably have some words on this. What What do I do when I see that happen? When somebody the projection that you're talking about when I see somebody doing that and I know like you're saying, that's violent. It's a different kind of violence, but I believe it's it's unnecessary and it's violent. How can I intervene in a way that's productive, not in a way that's like high and mighty and telling them that they're wrong and stepping on their, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. How can, where's the solution? Like, how do we, how do we work towards something that is productive, progressive, you know, whatever. Yeah. What do you think? I do have lots of thoughts. Here's one. As a Christian pastor, for like 20 years, I was trying to do that. And I was mostly doing it with my ego, like saying it out loud, telling people how dumb that thinking is, trying to give different ways of thinking. Like, this is what Jesus is really talking about. Um, Jesus, I think, is one of sort of the ultimate non-projectors. He just rejects all the projections put on him. He doesn't do it to other people. He even says, okay, all your fears of death, project them on me. Here, let's go. I'll die. Still doesn't work. Life. Okay, that's my theology in like 20 seconds. Um, But it wasn't working. Like, it wasn't working for me, partly because it was coming out of anger. I could see all the bad theology and talk about it, and I could try to talk about good theology. Well, then... Alex and Susan Olesek show up and they're just living free and saying like, like crazy, you know, hippie shit. Like what if we all just loved each other? You know, what if we just, what if there's nothing wrong with you? You know, what if we just talk about what's right with you? And again, it's almost, you know, it's it's such EPP doctrine that it is. It's kind of funny yeah. at, at this point. But at, at the time and still now, I'm like, yes, yes, that's what that's how it's supposed to be. Let's get together and talk about what's right about each other. And so it's it's doing the opposite of projecting. It's taking responsibility and then loving each other. And when we do, like, instead of projecting, it's mirroring and mirroring the best of. And so this, this instinct to, to fight that is so quick in me, this instinct to point out what's wrong uh, with force and truth and self-righteousness, um, boy, that does that not work. And I'm 52, so I tried that for a good four decades. And now I am trying something new, and it's just... It's just being filled with love and sharing it. And I know that sounds crazy, but that. Or as you called it, hippie shit. (laughs) (laughs) It might be the first time Alex has been called a hippie. (laughs) That's good stuff. uh, We're going to talk to Suzanne tomorrow. I don't know what your expectations on time were tonight. We're 45 minutes in. I'm 
I'm good talking more. I'm good stopping. I just want to check with you to see where you're at. Yeah. You know, when we started, I was getting a little tired, but now I'm like completely revved up. Yeah. So I, I really, I am like unformed dough in your hands okay. and um, I, I will lead I will follow. See, there's my type A. I will lead and you will follow. No, no, no. I will follow where you lead. We just it's the two lane highway. We'll go down side by side. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um the so you came to uh you came to EPP or they came here actually. You heard the presentation, you were down, you went through the GTP, you went to the all the other words that we have that I can't remember all the different classes are called. Um and then you started teaching here locally, uh in Saint Paul. What's that what's that been like? And by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first, is it the first chapter? Outside of California. And that's what you said. uh, Okay. I always want to make sure my words are right. Um, So how was was that? um, How did that come about? Did you say, hey, we want to do it? Or did they say, hey, we need people? And you said, okay. And then you raised your hand. Like, what was the process like to get EPP? into St. Paul, Minnesota? Yeah, great question. The the quick version, and Suzanne can tell you more about this, but Suzanne and the Minnesota chapter of the International Enneagram Association had been teaching the Enneagram in Shakopee, and I, I for, forget there was a connection Shakopee is a prison, by the way. Thank you okay. for... Shakopee Sorry is the, it's the only... It's the state women's prison okay. in Minnesota. Um. Right. And just like you say, San Quentin, we say Shakopee and Stillwater mm-hmm. and Lionel Lakes, right? And mm-hmm. we know what we're talking about. Shakopee Women's Prison. Um, had been teaching, had a connection from some years ago through the chaplain's office, I believe, was teaching an Enneagram class. Suzanne was teaching and realized we need something more. Like we're teaching the Enneagram, but this could be better. Like a workbook, for example. And then she met Susan Olesic, who had a workbook. And so we didn't even know how great EPP was, but they had a workbook. So, you know, um, praise the heavens. And now we're going to connect here. And so there was already a connection to prison, Enneagram being taught in the prison. There was already um, Suzanne, who for all of you know, Suzanne is just like an amazing human being. Like not only is she smart and deep, but is like also has this beautiful administrative brain that makes connections and knows how to do things. I don't know. I'm not good at any of those things. (laughs) If it had been up to me to start this in Minnesota, I think we'd still be dead in the water. Um, so I've just followed on Suzanne's coattails is all I've been doing. So we went through the GTP together. Um, also with Britt, who was, so the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan said, yeah, I'll fly to Minnesota and I'll, I'll, I'll do your apprenticeship in, in the first class. Well, that didn't happen at all. Okay. Um, by the time we got through with our guide training program, Susan had other apprentices she needed to train in California, but there were three of us. She had gotten to know us and she said, um, I, I trust you three. Let's start that class. So we taught that first class together, and right away, uh, it was just beautiful and amazing. And so the the prison liked it, we liked it, and we've we've been there ever since, except for COVID, which right. has stopped everything. Was it this? Was it an eight week program at that point, or was it twelve weeks? What was the What was the process like? Early? Their program calendar is quarterly, so okay. it was a twelve week. So we were the first, I think, 12-week program, and and partly we so liked it that modules, when I say modules one, two, and three, the guides know what we're talking about, but those first big modules where we do welcome, we talk about um, trauma and addiction, um, 
attachment, all those things in those first three modules to, to do them, um, just boom, 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 yeah. uh, fast was really hard. And so we could take a little bit longer to do them. We could do just one type a week rather than do three types mm-hmm. in, in one week. So there were several things that having 12 weeks was beautiful and it even ended up changing some other programs. Why is it? Because I've talked with uh, other guides um, in the last episode, and, and, we, and I, I know the process and how the class, the syllabus, all that stuff. Why is it so important to start with trauma and to start with to go into addiction? When we're talking, you know, if I'm if I'm an inmate, I'm there for a crime. Why do you need to know about trauma? Why do I need to know about addiction? Why does this Why does this matter? So the other thing that Susan said on that night when she visited Minnesota that changed my life, um, she just mentioned that. And it it was partly just the whole approach of EPP, but it was the immediate intuitive response that I'm like, not just the Enneagram, but trauma and addiction. I was like, yes. And I I assume you kind of know how like a type eight instinctual type, like I'm I'm a pretty smart guy. But half the time, I'm not thinking at all. <laughs> it's just a clear gut feeling. And so now you're asking me to explain that gut feeling. And so what I would say is, just like me, 10 years not able to see my real type, 10 years not able to um, do deep Enneagram work, but not see the deepest questions and challenges of who I am. And so if we can be, if I can be honest about what really happened to me, if I can be honest about the ways I am addicted to comfort-seeking behaviors and addictions that keep me from looking honestly at myself, that's, that's like tilling the soil before planting the seeds, And can you just scatter the seeds on open ground and get a certain amount of growth? You can. But if you put good compost on that soil and you till that soil and you care for the soil, way better. So, you know, that's an old analogy, but that works for me. It also creates a kind of safe container to jump in and start talking about the types. Like, hey, we, we are with you all the way down to the depth of who you are. We're with ourselves all the way down to taking a compassionate approach to our own addictions. And so that's, th- that creates juiciness and good soil. Yeah. Yeah, but what is, it, what is it? Is there a difference between teaching this and talking about these topics in a women's prison versus um, men's prison. Is it pretty much the same or are are there some notable differences that you've seen? Yeah, I also taught um, with Ambassador Renee, I taught a mixed gender class for the first time at the Santa Clara Reentry Center last spring. And it was the first time ever. Um, Although I've got to say at Shakopee Women's Prison, there are some people going through like gender reassignment okay. surgeries and, and and therapies and so that that was just happening in, in the last class we were doing and so I, I'm starting to think gender matters less and less and I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all like even type 8 it matters quite a bit whether you're a male or a female and the voices you get so I don't mean to downplay that right. 
But otherwise, um, I don't know. The, the first time that we did the ACE test was in San Quentin prison. And the very first time I was there, the, the night it was done. And the first questions coming from the guys were, have I messed up my kids? Yeah. And I thought that was going to be the female's response. And it often is. But the first time that came was from the guys in San Quentin. So I, to be honest, I see very little difference. We talked about the aces in the, uh, in the last episode, um, as well. And that is, that is a starting point where, uh, and, and ACE is an acronym, by the way, that stands for adverse childhood experience. You got it. And then I learned that the S of ACEs just means that there's sometimes more than one. <laughs> I, had a, I had a bit of a brain fart when I was talking with Dana. I was yes. like, wait, I was like, adverse childhood experience is what's the S for? She's like, eh, might be more than one. Okay. 10, four. Got that. Um, when I, when I, I thought the same thing, you know, even not even retrospectively or whatever, but just like, even in the moment, I wonder like, what am I doing as a dad? That's screwing up my kids. Um, and on, on one hand, it's like, I guess it's good to think that way. Cause like, maybe it's easier to prevent it. But at the, on the other hand, it's also like, get, gets in the way, man. I don't want to be sad all the time and wondering like how I'm screwing up my kids and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised, uh, that, that the guys are, are thinking that way too. Cause I'm sure, dude, I mean, we know numbers. If you're in prison as a man, as a father, your child is already X percentage more likely to go down that path sometimes. And I say X because I don't know the actual math, but it's more than a few percentage points. So it's, it's big time. Um, we're uh, we're rolling up on an hour here and it, it time flies, you know, as they say. Uh, I w- I, we're going to pause here. And we didn't get to talk about handball or football at all. I, we didn't get to talk about the chili. You know oh, what? the chili. We didn't. We didn't talk about, uh, God, there were, I had some, when we were driving, you picked me up from the airport today, by the way. Thanks again for that. You bet. And, uh, Once I found the correct airport. Yeah, well, you had the right airport. This is the terminal that was, yeah. you know, but we were, I was going to leave all that out, but you brought it up, so there it is. <laughs> um, I, had, I, I should have wrote down, I had some really funny zingers in the car that I, that I thought to wait until now, and they've all gone. But um, <laughs> I, if you want to talk handball, we can talk handball. <laughs> I'm down. What are you putting in your chili? We could we could talk about that too, because <laughs> the chili's good. Um, but I want to give you a moment. Um, and again, I'm putting you totally on the spot here. And there's no question. I don't. I'm not looking for any answer here. I just I just want to hear from you. What's on your mind? What anything in particular that you want to share uh, that I didn't ask about, or, or any anything that you have that's worth uh, you know telling the listener, or just anything. And there's no time limit. Just go until you're done. Oh, thank you. I'm thinking about something you you said earlier um, today, and you've actually said it several times. You've talked about it as we talked about sports and as you've talked about EPP, that how much growth comes from walking towards um, towards failure, towards shame, um, towards not being good at something. And, and all I want to say is how often EPP keeps inviting me into that space. How much um, my ego is not wired that way, but how true that still is. Uh, How much Alex and Susan invited me into that. How much you tonight have invited me into that space. And how much that fellow I sat across from 
in San Quentin and the women in Shakopee prison. And that space is compassion. It's connection. It's forgiveness. It's life. And so that's speaking. I'm I'm talking to myself, by the way. I'm think I am. There's a little part of my mind that's hoping this is inspiring for other people. But I'm just trying. The thing I want to say more than anything else is to say out loud for myself. Oh, Phil, it it is okay to step towards the unknowing, to step towards um, that space of learning, and I want to keep doing that. And, and and anything that gets in the way of that, like thinking, oh, you're on the faculty of the EPP, or um, you're the per- one of the people who gets to decide who gets to be a guide and doesn't, like any any BS that I'm telling myself, um, I want to let go of it. And and today has been a beautiful reminder of that. So thank you. So usually I, I say like 40, 30, 45 ish. And then I got it, a clock right there. And then it go, I got a clock right here too. Mine's if, bigger. <laughs> okay. So, but there's no limit is what I'm okay. saying. If it feels long, we can go for 30. If 45 feels too short, we can go for an hour and a half. There's no limit on. Yeah, we'll anymore. just go. It's literally no. we're going. We make the rules up. This is our deal. And all of this can be deleted, right? It can be, yeah. And if and and Robin is the magician, you know, that I send it to after I'm done. So if he decides, you know what, maybe we don't put that in there, then it'll get cut out. Got it. But um, tell us who you are, where we are, anything that you think is relevant to introduce yourself. My name is Suzanne Gaverlach, and I think it's relevant to know that Clay Toomey is in the house in Minnesota. Yep. He flew all the way up from Texas, and um, I am a faculty member. I am the most important thing. I'm a guide for EPP, and um, I also am leading the EPP Minnesota first local community outside of California, and we just actually started programming in Chicago as well, so the Midwest is alive and well. How far away is Chicago from here? We're in St. Paul, right? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if we left St. Paul when we left Phil's house because you're not far away from Phil, by the no, way. No, we're we are just a stone's throw away, maybe two miles. So how far away is Chicago from here? I would say seven or eight hours. Oh, so it's a ways then. Well, I mean, but really, compared to California or Texas, yeah. Well, I mean, a little further down thirty-five. I mean, California is only—it only takes long to get to other cities because it's like just a long state. But you can go from the ocean. <laughs> to the eastern border of California in like a couple hours. True. It's not, it's, and then Texas is just like a big giant. It's not literally a square, but it's more square-ish. Yeah. Than uh, you know, than than California's. Um, so the what is the difference between a faculty and uh, not faculty, faculty and staff? Because you talk about being EPP faculty. What is that? Good question. Um, well, as a guide, I'd been guiding for I don't know maybe six months and I got an email from Susan saying, um, Suzanne is now on faculty. And that's just kind of how it rolls. Did you and not know that you were gonna be on faculty? No. Mm-mm. Okay, cool. Not Sweet. really, although <laughs> I had just gotten more involved beyond guiding just because of being um, in Minnesota, not at the mothership of California. and. Um, like how do we transition from my teaching a basic Enneagram class to bringing in the EPP programming? 
um, kind of was our journey because I didn't start with EPP in custody programming. I started through the Minnesota IEA board. Okay. I was asked if I wanted to be an outreach person and come on the board. And I was like, yeah, I reach. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll let's do that. And then when I got on the board, they said, and by the way, um, we do a basic Enneagram class at Shakopee Women's Prison. So that'll be part of, you know, your board responsibility. I'm like, oh, prison and the Enneagram together. That's really an interesting concept. What and year was that? That was 2015. Okay. And so in 2016, um, I went in with a fellow board member and taught a basic Enneagram class for about a year and a half. And really quickly, I was like, oh, man, the blue book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Russ Hudson and Don Riso is amazing. It's the text that we use yep. um, with EPP, but that was the book that we were using. And I really realized quickly, you know what? When the women, if they get rolled up or moved to another facility or something, sometimes all of their notes and everything are taken from them. And so I was like, I need a workbook. How can I create a workbook? Um, where could I get funding? How, what would that even look like? And so in 2017, on really a wing and a prayer, I was like, <laughs> if I go to one of the um, IEA, International Enneagram Association, conferences, maybe I can find someone else who teaches and has a workbook. I wasn't like- I was Specifically like, for teaching in prison, yeah? Well, yeah, and I that like seriously, I'm going to ask the universe to have that person also be in prison, <laughs> but let's just see. And yeah. we got to the um, conference, hadn't even checked in. The first person that I met, you know, I'm like, "Hi, I'm Suzanne. Who are you?" And she said, "Oh, my name is Laura." And I'm like, "What do you do at the Enneagram?" And she's like, "I teach um, the Enneagram in a women's prison." And it was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, can I have a minute, Laura?" And I'm like. God, thank you. Like seriously, yeah. that took two by, seconds. By the way, you're 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 in San Antonio when that happens, yeah. And yes. you're from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Where's Laura from? Finland. Yeah, you know, so just when, like, around she, the corner. <laughs> you know, I was like Finland. Like I know that's in the north, and it's a really cold place. Yeah. But I didn't like. It didn't matter. Like, are you serious? Like this woman teaches in a women's prison and she's like, well, you know, Susan Olesic with the Enneagram prison project, right? Like you're, you live in the United <laughs> States. She's in California. I'm like, I, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I've heard there's somebody in California doing something. Yeah. And she said, okay, I'll introduce you to Susan. And that was where I met her at dinner that night and completely has turned my life. I always throw out, like I hear quotes and I think that'd be a good t-shirt, but they're always like the wrong quotes. And I think that's another good EPP t-shirt idea. It's just, we're somebody in California. We're doing something. <laughs> like, I think that'd be yeah. okay. I can let Rick know about that. And all my t-shirt <laughs> ideas are like, they giggle and they say, oh, that's a good idea. And then they literally never happen. So I hope someone's keeping a list of those because I've heard a few and they're good. Yeah. I mean, my favorite one is, you know, Enneagram Prison Project, you know, on the front, just like EPP or whatever the logo. And then on the back literally would just say, you know, prison is our middle name. That's great. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I don't think Susan thinks it's a good idea. I don't know. I, I'm trying, but I like we'll that. I, I would I would roll with that on my back. So you said a phrase in talking about um, you know women getting moved to other facilities or whatever, and I, I like to go back and revisit phrases that the regular non-incarcerated folk sure. might not know. You said rolled up or moved or whatever. What yeah. is what is rolled up when you're locked up? Um, if you're locked up and there's 
something that is being questioned by the CEOs, the correction officer, or there's a facility in general, if they think something is not okay going on in your um, cell that you're living with, which could be with one person, or you could be in a room with, I think the most is one, two, three, five, six, like 12 women. Um, they come in and pretty much everything that you own is tossed. You know, they flip your bed, they go through all your personal items and anything that isn't considered um, required is taken from you. Contraband. Contraband. And that would be your personal notes that you take in a class. So how do you deal with that? If you have a student who comes in and says, you know, like, oh, my shit's gone. Like all these notes that I took in this class that mean something to me. And obviously you can't do it. You can't go tell the word and like, hey, give me give me my shit back. Give no. Me, give me the notes back. But how do you handle that? Oh, that's kind of a bummer. It's a big bummer. That's yeah. your per that's like your diary. These yeah. notes are their personal journey to heal themselves, to understand themselves. And pre-EPP, it had to just be like, oh, that is a bummer. What can I do about that? So that was part of the drive for me to find, find or create this workbook. Mm -hmm. And um that way, because that is part of what they're given when you're in a program, you come on in and you're welcomed with the wisdom of the Enneagram book and then our EPP workbook. So that would not be taken from you. Oh, so they can keep notes and all that kind of stuff in the workbook itself. Yes. Is there a place in the back or front we, or anywhere? Robin, our amazing EPP designer has blank pages yeah. with lines for you to take notes and places he knows in our curriculum that there's note taking or yeah. Ooh, this is a meaty part i'm going to want to write something here he leaves space for people to take their notes yeah robin grant is so amazing that we praise his empty pages uh, yes <laughs> and i'm not that's not a joke it's fu it's yes. funny to me to say but it's literally that is how uh that's how amazing and how much we uh respect robin grant as an artist absolutely the lines on the paper and the little stick better. people too yeah so part. you were invited into prison. It wasn't like you had this calling to the incarcerated or, or anything like that is, or whatever phrase you like to use. It's just like an invitation that you accepted. Yeah. Um, did you have any experience prior to that with incarceration, friends, family, neighbors, um, chance encounters, anything like that? Did you have any experience with prison prior to that? Well, interestingly enough is um, when I first went on the board, I had always wanted to do jury duty because I, in my early life, had been a legal secretary. And I was like, oh, jury duty, that yeah. would be cool, too. Never been called. And so I was I was finishing my uh, master's degree and was called to jury duty. And I'm like, I can't. I'm finishing. And they're like, OK, well, then the second time they came around you get called and you don't get to say, I can't come. Yeah. And it was right at the end when I had to present my colloquium. And I'm like, okay, if I get on a case, I got to be out of here on Friday. And they're like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Well, I got on the first case, the first panel. And it was a big case. It was kidnapping. Um, children were involved. There was five big counts against this person. And that is the first time that I... Um, did jury duty and sat through listening to the 911 tapes played over and over and got into the argument with everybody in the jury room it was mm -hmm. just a it was a it was a front page case in minnesota okay. and so for me i was like dang this is i i hadn't really out of my own privilege yeah. thought much about um what is that to be taken out of society what is that to be put in this place and here i'm holding a man's life in our hands in 
all these different counts that he's going to do time with, and he had five children. Yeah. So um, when they said that, that's maybe for me why that's a really significant part of my story is when they I was on the board and they're like, oh, and you're going to go into, you have this opportunity. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. A, um, I am a type four on okay. the Enneagram. Yeah. So it's always about what? Uh, what would I have to offer? Who am I mm-hmm. to do this? And um, I, but I pretty quickly just turned to, well, well, my thing to Karen, my co-guide or teacher at the time, I said, but do they want to do the work? Like, if you go in and bring the Enneagram, like, what's their response? And she's like, oh, my gosh, it's just a gift for them to see themselves and what's right about them and all the things that EPP's curriculum is rolled around. And so pretty quickly, I just turned to, actually, I don't care where someone lives. Right. I don't care, big house, little house, cell. I, I, I don't care. I want to know, do you want to do the work of um, uncovering the mystery of who you are and what's right about you and who we can be? Because that's the proverbial journey for the yeah. type four. So you you talking about the jury duty thing. And mm-hmm. these are I always, I don't know why my brain goes here, but this is what I hear. Like, even with Phil talking last night about some you know talking to guy a guy about his charges and it's 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 interesting to me how what i hear in your telling of that story is you're talking about holding this man's life in your hands because you're on the jury and i think the standard thought for most people in society would be like you know screw that guy you know because of what he did or maybe even if we don't know that he did it or whatever and it's normal for us like in this in this community, like in the circles that we run in, like we think about the guy, we think about the lady behind the crime or whatever. But the, I don't know. I, I, what what do you and I, I I just what would you say to somebody who said like who cares like that's a criminal, and whether it's the guy that you did jury duty duty on or or people that are in prison, uh, you know, in your classes, like why do we care about people on the inside? Like they're there for a reason, and they can't. Really, they don't deserve a place in society. So why do we put so much effort into that? Because I don't believe that anybody doesn't deserve their place in society. And anyone that is incarcerated, okay, they something went wrong in their life. They have been sentenced. And when they're done, they're going to be my neighbor. I'm going to see them in the grocery store. They're going to be at the library. Our kids are going to be together. Why wouldn't we want to... The criminal justice system, you know, we won't even go into all the whole We can go there. I know you're trying to dodge it. We can go there <laughs> too. Gonna, I ain't scared. Way after that. <laughs> they did their, they, that's been taken care of. And so saying, um, this is about prison reform yeah, with air quotes. As you do the quotes. air quotes, yeah. <laughs> um, my, my thought is we're a family. We're all on this globe together. And um are we actually doing any reform on the inside? That's not this discussion. And if I can be part of anyone, I don't care where you live. If you're my neighbor and you beat your kids afterwards, but nobody um, catches you and you don't do time, we're all criminals. Like, Can yeah. anyone really sit with themselves and say, I have never done one thing that if I would have been caught, I wouldn't have had to have um, some type of repercussion for I think that's few and far apart. So what's the crime you never got caught for? Let's talk about that, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> nope, we're not going down okay, that fine. Right. It was worth a try. 
<laughs> it was I. You know what? I was just gonna sit and wait. You I know, kinda, I was a teenager. Yeah. I went to. Uh, yeah, we have our fun days and um, naughty days. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we'll leave it at that. How how is this so far for you? By the way, just sitting here chatting because before I, 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 don't, I sort of just feel like we're having a conversation. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cool. Because I don't think that it was. We'll just say it nicely. I don't think you're necessarily looking forward to like being in front of a mic and there's some anxiety maybe that was there. Yeah. So it's all good. I love having a conversation anytime with anybody about what the Enneagram project is, what it represents, where their place is in this family. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have a personality and I'm a withdrawal type. Like I feel my cheeks maybe are a little red. What's wrong with me? It's, it's, um, EPP and and everything that we do is it's bigger than that. Yeah, talking to and I'm glad you brought your type into this uh, because I I don't one of the reasons I don't introduce people is I is I don't want to say things that they might not want to talk about mm-hmm. and names and types all that stuff simple but uh, I just think it's fun to just let them say as as much up front and then other stuff eventually comes out anyway. So you <laughs> you bring up type and I'm glad you yeah. did because if I'm talking to one of the let's just say more outgoing or assertive types, as we say, like it's easy to imagine a type eight going into prison and teaching. Um, it's easy to imagine even like a type five who, who uh, like I, all that makes sense to me. Like Susan is a type one, like it, but how is it, what is, what is it like as a teacher? We call them guides. Yeah. I'd still sometimes say teacher, but um, oh well. Uh, what is it like being a withdrawn type and going in and presenting um, yourself to the inmates and because a very important part of teaching on the inside is making a connection before you transfer any information. Like if you don't have that connection and correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, I don't, I'm not, I've never taught on the inside. I've only been taught on the inside. So if that's not true, please correct me. But I would think that making a connection first um, is helpful if not necessary. And as a withdrawn type, what does that look like? How do you do it? What do you, how do you go about it? It's a fresh, group of people who've never seen you before and you've never seen them what's step one for you um well step one for me is on my way there i just really find myself you know where am i where am i going usually we co-guide and i've co-guided with phil and um, we have three other guides in minnesota debbie moe and Britt. and we have our little debrief like what's happening in our families in our lives where are we at and then when we get there you know okay now let's ground to each other kind of like you have your responsibility for yourself responsibility because all right we're going in i got your back you got mine if i miss something like there's such a open trust between us um that's important and then we get into the classroom and for me as a type four it depends who i'm with for one thing but um it's just a type four life can be about me and my story and i can get tumble into that fun, dark place um, or very light place, but nobody else has to be part of it as a withdrawal type. And yet when I get into a room, I just see potential. I see hurting people that I know they have that divine spark inside of themselves. And guess what? We're going to go there. We're going to dive deep and find that. And the the more aggressive types that do want to push, I'm like, yeah, bring it. Yeah. Then we're really wrestling and doing the work together. So it, I, um, I have a type three wing, which is an assertive type two. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean into that for sure. And it's um, humbling and... Um, just an honor to be 
in front of a fellow human being that really wants to uncover and discover how can I move on and, and be my best self in a really ugly place. And that is a big freaking ask. Oh, here, come and uncover how amazing you are. And then when you go out in the hall, you might get your ass kicked. Yeah. Like I understand um, what we are asking and it's worth the ask because we're all worth seeing who we are. And um, as guides, we hold that sacredly and close the class down before they go back out into the general population or wherever they're um, in the institution. And it's amazing to see and hear how quickly, wow, I have this information about myself that I can take and share with the other people um, in my pod. Or we had a situation at Shakopee Women's Prison where um, there was a lockdown and they never know how long is that going to last, that their lockdown means you're stuck in your cell, meals are brought to you, you do not get any outside time, you are, I mean, imagine you're in this small space with other people. Size of a small bedroom sometimes, yeah. And with how many people? 24-7. Like, I have the freedom... No, during the pandemic, it's the closest thing to our lockdown, yeah. and we were all people finally going understand crazy. The, what the words mean. Exactly, and it's a tiny taste of it. But. And so to be locked for a week, um, actually, I think it was two weeks. By the time it was done, when we came back to the class, I'm like, "Ladies, how are you?" And every woman in that class said, um, "I didn't go to seg segregation where they yeah. got in a fight and they're taken out. I didn't beat anybody up. I wanted to, but I actually didn't because yeah. I could look at them and see their type. Like there becomes this understanding and compassion for themselves and those they're in community with. And we have um, been teaching at Chakopee Women's Prison so from 2017 until now. And when people come into our class, they don't have to start at the beginning and figure out what's their type. They come in actually, oh, really? so-and-so told me my type or it's rare anybody comes in and doesn't have a clue of what their type is previous to even starting the class. So it brings in healing to the community, less violence within themselves, within them that they're in community with, within the institutional people. So it's it's just a tool that does its work of transformation. Do you have graduates, or I don't know if you call them that, but mm-hmm. people who people who complete, it's a 12-week? For, it's an eight module course okay. and we we run 12 weeks because it's minnesota and usually between ice and snow and lockdowns and things like that we yeah. get about 10 weeks okay cool so you have you have snow up here i had no idea <laughs> um so Lots of snow. It, when somebody completes a class are they able to come back after that and do more or is it just like one and done kind of thing how does that work here yeah we have a really nice um rapport with the program manager and she makes sure that anybody that has programmed and wants to come in a second time that we want them back because they're really our teachers Mm -hmm. and they really help hold the class and um, guide us and them and yeah it's beautiful what kind of support do you get from the facility or the or the uh the, the the minnesota i guess prison system itself i think and the reason i ask is because it, it feels like a lot of time we we shit on the correction system and i hate saying correction correction systems anyways just because huh, uh-huh, right <laughs> Got but there are pockets of of good stuff going on there are as a whole i think uh the american prison 
situation is embarrassing. It's awful and terrible. Agreed. And then within that, there are pockets of goodness. People like Neelam Wadwani out in California and people here who I don't know their names, but yeah. that exists in, in areas. And so what kind of support? So I don't know if that's even the case here. What kind of support uh, does the bigger like umbrella give you? I would say that um, Minnesota itself has a lot of potential and hope and Shakopee Women's Prison has uh, about 620 women went pre-pandemic and um, they had 450 volunteers coming in and out. Oh, dang. That's so, almost one to one. Yeah. That's, that's like two to three ratio. Yeah. Wow. So. It is the only facility as a prison for women in Minnesota, um, and they're one of the highest programming women's facilities in the nation. So that's really a, a gold star for Minnesota. And um, anyone that we deal with on the inside is supportive to us because very quickly they saw like, wow, this like changes things. I've had COs come in like for our night class. If it mm -hmm. ends at nine, they're like, come on, TikTok. We have pill call. <laughs> we have count. And the women don't want to leave the class. And like, come on, get out, get out. And then they came back and said, what do you do in here? Like, yeah. what is it that you're teaching? Because they want to come to class early and then they don't want to leave. And it's like, right. Because they're seeing who they are and they're doing the work. Do the guards, uh, COs, whatever we call them, do they do they pick their head in sometimes to just? I don't even know if they're allowed to be in class or anything. How does that? What's what's the setup? Um, the setup is either we're programming in a chapel, mm -hmm. which is down a little bitty hall, and they pretty much once they get us in the room, close the door, see ya, leave. Don't want to be ya. Yeah. And yeah, literally, <laughs> and then there's a classroom too that um, now that we've grown, um, there's another classroom space and it's the same thing. It go, you go through a library, you get to mm -hmm. that class space and they leave us, they leave us there. So if they wanted to peek their head in and stay, are they, are the guards allowed to? Is it, the guards, yeah. as you very well know, they can do whatever they want and they do. Like we may be in the middle of a teaching, the door opens and they three guys, you know, come in or three of the COs come in and move through the class. They don't say, oh, excuse me, Suzanne. Yeah. You know, they just come in, do whatever. I don't even know what they're doing. And we just stop, stand there, wait and proceed. That's funny. Out here in the free world, we go to these retreats and we go up to the mountains. We spend thousands of dollars to have <laughs> peace and tranquility and all this stuff. And this is where we we look for our healing, you know, and I'm not to say that none of that is OK, but it's all it's all good. But it's not a reality in prison at all, because at any given point, you could just be like, hey, you're a uh, little concentrated focus thing you got going on. Stop that for a second. We need to count and make sure nobody escaped. Or they can walk into a room and say, so-and-so, let's go. Yeah. Why and they, they're pulled out. For what? Who knows? That's none of my business. <laughs> and, and that's very obviously disturbing and rattling, and that's reality. So as a teacher, as a guide, how do you... I mean, you can't ignore it, but you also, I mean, do you just keep going? Do you just, do you acknowledge that to the class? If, especially if you're having a moment, because it can get pretty deep. I mean, it could, you know, talking about the Enneagram, talking about our lives, talking about all this stuff. It can, we can go to some pretty serious places where for a moment you can forget that you're on the inside yeah. and you forget that you're in prison because you're having such a real conversation and, a, and a, such a deep moment that your physical surroundings don't matter. And then you have a guy come in here and yell out a last name and snatch somebody. How do you get back to what you had without it being like some kind of artificial, okay, let's go back to being serious or whatever. You yeah. know, how do you, how do you manage that as a guide? 
kind of the the gift is our breath. It's the same thing that I can do on the outside. If I get reactivity or blow up about something, just can I come back to my breath in the moment and just take a pause? So someone came in, something happened, they leave, and then we just give it a little space and all look at each other like, okay, I think that whatever that is, you know, I hope things go well for whoever just left the class. Could we all just take a minute and take a breath? And we start our classes with presence practice and that becomes part of the gift of the Enneagram is can I stop enough to notice myself? Mm -hmm. So um, suggesting also that the students do presence practices during the week when they're not in class. So the breath is kind of that first space and we use that as the tool. What is a good, what is, what is the presence practice that you teach them to, to like early on in their, in their, you know, practices that that's easy for them to remember is easy for them to do. What do you, how do you coach them in that direction? Good question. Um, depending on what the curriculum is for the week, we try to have a five minute presence practice that if we're teaching body types, let's get into our bodies. Can you feel your feet? Can you feel your seat? Can you, we talk about the body. If it's a heart centered like adjusting week, myself now, cause I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a heart centered week, can we breathe into that space? Just yeah. breathing in and out or so we every week it's on the fly mm -hmm. the guides just answer to what's maybe happening in the class i could have the women come in the class and everybody's rattled and what's 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 up this week what's happening and they may say that um um my podmate had a baby this morning and she's devastated because your children are taken away from you after you deliver. Um, we do have a beautiful doula program, and I'm happy to say that I just saw that Shakopee now has mandated that they have a, a separate housing unit that anyone who's had a child gets to keep their baby in prison for a year with them. So that's beautiful. But I've had many women come into class, and either they've had their child and it's been taken away, or their roommate or their podmate has had their child taken away. Um, or someone committed suicide, or they got a diagnosis that they have cancer. I mean, life doesn't stop. Right. The realities of life, the pain of missing your children, all of those realities are part of our class. And sometimes that literally informs what we do in the class. And we just wrap that into our personality and how can we hold compassion for each other. It's a, I, I gotta be honest, it's like a punch to the gut to just hear this idea of delivering a baby in prison and then immediately gone yes. and it's and we deal with pain we, we talk about pain we 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 have it it's part of life and all that stuff and i don't know why like it's like th th why that exists why that's a reality for some people i know the technical aspects of well because you're in prison and you had a baby so what else you know blah blah, blah mm -hmm. all that stuff but it still is just such a massive kick to the gut for me just hearing that just like and and i don't know if there's just so much pain that it's just we're used to talking about it and going on through that but i don't know i don't know i would i would guess that i'm not the only one to hear that and go like wait a second what the fuck yeah this is more like we think prison a lot and we think man we think criminal we think violence we think all these things but when you hear prison you don't you don't you don't really think mother not getting to sit with a baby that she just had and it's not i don't know it doesn't seem right doesn't see doesn't it's seem fair so not right and more than 80 percent of the women that are in shakopee are moms 
and I don't know the stat for men in prison that are dads. Yeah. But yes, the pain of missing their children. Um, one of the women in our class was a mom of 11 and negotiating with her 18-year-old how to navigate her children while she's in prison. And I have had the case where another person in our class um, unfortunately killed her children. And that puts you in a really dangerous situation. And both of those can be held in the same class. And we have to find space within ourselves and within our students to hold both of that in a classroom. And um, the Enneagram is a tool that helps with that. When you say it puts them in a really dangerous situation, are those like mothers who've killed their, their children, is that the worst crime you can commit and be incarcerated with other women? Yes. So where I, I, I didn't know that I never thought I'd never even crossed my mind, frankly. Um, and you know, and, in, in, in men's prisons, it's, you don't want to be a rapist. You don't want to be mm. a sex offender. You don't want to be a, what we call chomo. You know, you don't want to, that's the worst. Um, and you just, you get extorted these days. You know, they turn it into a business venture. You know, other people extort you for your money. Um, I never even, I never even crossed my mind that that would be the worst in a women's prison. It's, kind of both ends of that spectrum, yeah. birthing your child and then having mental illness or whatever issues that that was part of the reason that brought you into the classroom. Are there requirements in terms of, um, I don't know if like security levels with different inmates or different crimes or whatever, are there different groups who do classes together or is everybody just doing it all, all together? Shakopee is really um, a unique campus. If you, it's in a neighborhood for one, and campus, by the way. <laughs> it looks like a college campus, Clay. It's in a neighborhood. There's housing around it. There's an elementary school across the street. And when I first started programming there, we drove up and it's like um, all these little, um, what look like dorms on a college campus, mm-hmm. the dorm buildings, and then a big main building. There wasn't even a, a, a gate around it or a fencing around it but then quickly after that first year what they had was a shocking fences um at different levels of shock as you move to try to move out of the space but yes they did put up a fence it's a big metal fence that has these funny bars that roll to the inside which usually would be on the outside so it's very unassuming when you see it and these separate housing units um like i mentioned about the moms if you've had your child now there's a housing unit that you can live there it's a level one through five prison meaning um different levels of crimes you're you're you know different there aren't different yards it's all in one space but you live in different units and they've they've been very creative to say we're finding that mixing um, crime levels in housing makes it's a not a good mix okay. and they've gotten creative and done different things through the years do you know and and again i'm just stuck on the the baby thing do you mm-hmm. do you know what the numbers are or any any broad statistics with regards to the percentage of babies who are born into that environment with their mom in prison what's the what are the what are the chances that that baby grows up to offend that's an an excellent stat that I would probably cringe to see and I can't answer to what it is, but yeah. I would wonder. I know with, with uh, when I was locked up, I know that, that among the dads there, it was something like 60% of children whose dad was in prison would grow up to be in prison to some extent themselves. So just the, mm-hmm. and I, and I, 
I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know. I, I, this is where it would probably be helpful for me to ha be on the internet, like, typing, you know, information, <laughs> right. but I don't, as you can see, I don't do any of that. Nope. Not a big, nope. not a big fan of preparation. So we just sit and chat and I think this is fun. By the way, it started raining. This is kind of calming or at least it is for me. Yeah. Um, I wrote down a note a minute ago and all I wrote was one word skeptics. And, and I don't remember what you were talking about when I said it, but, um, mm. I think, uh, well, first of all, how do women get into your class? Are they recruited? Do they sign up for it? Are they are they forced in? And I th and then the continuing question from that is like, how often do you get ladies coming in and just being like, "Nah, this is bullshit." Mm. Um, well, EPP in general to take our programming, we ask the institution not to force anyone to come into the class because who inside or outside you can't make someone want to do personal work. <laughs> I can fake it right. and give you what you want, but that's not the point. So we do, that is kind of the one thing we say is, can we only have people who choose to want to do their own work come into the classroom? And, and, they're, and, they're cool the, with that? and yeah, okay. because they have so much programming or did, I should say, yeah. um, because all the programming has been shut down for a year and a half and there is nothing happening there at all which is really painful. Um, so they, the women come into the class and every class I can say, okay, so everyone here, you're here by your own choice. You want to do this work. You've, you, you signed up for it because they get a little booklet. Here's the classes you sign up, like literally sign your name to do it. And they come into the class and go, I didn't sign up for this. And that's like, happened before almost every class oh, okay well, yeah. there's one and i'm always like okay <laughs> how are we gonna roll who's the where yeah. is it where let's do it and actually i kind of invite that because then it's like okay you don't want to be here you didn't sign up for this class even though there's a piece of paper here with your signature on it and i've had the program megan van curler is just an amazing programmer and she'll come in and go here this is your signature you signed this and they're like but i didn't i don't know whose signature that is okay well let's work with that yeah and so I just invite them to, um, at Chakopee, if you are signed up for a program and you um, get booted or you're, you don't finish programming, you can end up in SEG because that's a big privilege to get to program. And then you're not usually allowed to sign up the next round of programming. And programming helps you when you go to the pro board or when you are released, how you are released into what facility by the work that you've done on the inside. And there's a point system with that. Um, so they come in, say, nope, I'm not the one. And I'm like, all right, well then I just invite you because Unless you want to go out and get in trouble, that's up to you. But yeah. I invite you, will you just stay and hear what it's about day one? And after that, we'll talk. And if you want out, I will work with you to get out. And, and there's not like assignments or there's not like work that they have to do or anything like that. That would like if you're if I'm a kid and I'm in math, mm -hmm. I have to do math. Is yeah. it is it like that with being in your class? Like if I'm there, can I just sit and listen and not do anything? You can, but good luck with that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we're always going to come back to you. So we always, if someone comes in, yeah, maybe they just want to burn a few hours to not have to sit in their cell and they're like, yeah, right. I'm all about figuring out who I am. And they're just great. That's information right there too. What's going on? Maybe I am a withdrawal type and I'm really just doing my thing, checking out the class. Do you know your shit or don't you know your shit? Are you full of shit? And, <laughs> and, and that's just part of the game with the whole class. And we do, 
intentionally set a container in the room of agreements. Like if you're in the class, you respect each other. Anything shared in the class is not shared out of the class because actually that's like a commodity to be, really has to be respected in prison. That anything shared really has to stay there. And the women quickly find like, this is different. Like we're actually are agreeing to do that. And that's really the only way that the actual work can be done. And I haven't had anyone, anyone, I've had that outlier and I'm like, oh yes, be Mm -hmm. the outlier and we'll just see. And um, gives you by the end, they're, they're in. Do they keep in touch with you when, when they, when they get out? Have you had anybody, like when I got out, it was literally days before I messaged Susan and said, Hey, I'm free now. Do you have people who look you up on Facebook or find your email address anywhere or anything like that? In every state is different. And in Minnesota, if um, anyone that has programmed with me sees me on the outside within two years of their release and I see them, I'm required to call the prison and report that um, we saw each other or that I was approached or that. So um, although you're a free person, you're not free yet. You're not so free. Is and that even if they didn't make parole, like if they did their whole time and there's no parole? It's, that means if they, they did whatever their situation is, that's just if, if you have programmed and you see a student or you're approached by a student on the outside. And, um, but we found, I'm like, there's got to be a workaround. Yeah. That's crazy because how, am I, how are we ever going to cultivate right. people that get out to be an ambassador, which is part of EPP's programming that if you've programmed on the inside and then you get out, we continue to have reconnection meetings once a week that Sue Lambert beautifully is supported with um, other guides um, as a connection place. And there's other opportunities to continue to support not only them, but their loved ones with the Enneagram on the outside. So there is a workaround. We found it, and we just have to have the warden sign off that the person that we um, had as a student and that us, that relationship um, is for continued education or gotcha. you have to have the reasons why and the warden signs off on it so it's it's person by person you mm-hmm. have to individually have that and it's, it's paperwork in prison yeah and you know how quickly that goes of course so you and, and not, not only that but you have um i mean who who then is it on to ask for that is it you know you have let's i don't know how many people you have in a class but 20 30 10 50 whatever it is of all those people, do you offer to the, first of all, do they initiate the paperwork or do you initiate the paperwork with the warden? What we tell our students from day one and all the way through is they have a name, a nameplate with their mm-hmm. name on it. And on the back side is the contact information for EPP. And then they have the amazing workbook. And on the back of that is the contact information. So that is on anyone that gets out, please contact um, EPP and we will um, move forward with keeping you connected. If and when that happens, then I'm like, okay, I got to get on the paperwork. Okay. Oh, so you don't have to do it preemptively. You can do it after it happens. Well, they don't call me directly. It goes to um, EPP headquarters. What the, what, what is, why does that rule or law or why, why is that there? I mean, on the surface, like, okay, yeah, you don't want them to get buddy, buddy with, you know, look, you know, get, look them up and do things, blah, 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 all that stuff. But like, really, who the hell is getting hurt there? I mean. Let's talk about that. Okay. Because they're a free person. Yeah. So the, the logic behind that, I, I don't know. And maybe they've had situations where someone got out and something went down and now this is a new thing. I've never heard of that in other, other states. Yeah. 
No, it's it's not a thing. Uh, there are there are rules. For example, you can't you can't if you're a volunteer in some states. I know, like this is, I think this is the case in Texas. You can't have like a you can't be in a relationship with someone like a dating remote romantic relationship with someone who either just got out or has been out or something. There's something in mm. that neck of the woods that's true. Sure. Um, and I I even when I disagree, I can say that I understand it. Yeah. And it makes sense. But what I don't get, like, if I get out, like, you're, I'm, you know, I'm seeing you weekly or sometimes daily or whatever if I'm in your class on the inside. Right. And now, I, and now I graduate to freedom. And all of a sudden, I have this restriction of no communication with the person who helped me find my way a little bit. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem okay. I'm glad that there's like an exception, it seems, or a loophole yes. or whatever. Um, has, have, have we successfully, traversed that loophole yet has there any has there been anybody who's been in touch with you and the paperwork went through and now they're in contact with you or anything like that um i have had a situation where i just went to a restaurant and it happened to be a restaurant that one of my former students was um working at that's fun innocent on both sides of our part (laughs) right and so i'm like oh okay, what do I do here? Like, I want to run over and give them a hug and welcome them and- The right thing to do. All that, like yeah. normal. And that could be a problem for them. And so I pretended that I didn't see them. And- Did they see you? Did they, Clay? <laughs> <laughs> did they pretend that you did- also, was there, there was a lot of pretending going on. There, there could have been some pretending and a beautiful connection, maybe, that happened. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Like, that's cool. But it's also such a bummer because it's so against, like, I don't think humans are meant to do that. I don't think that we're, like, supposed to just pretend at a distance. Like, it's almost like you, you see, you know, kids that used to be friends with and your parents, like, got in a fight and now you're not allowed to play with your friends because your parents are assholes. Right. And it's a bummer. And it's not your fault but you still suffer the consequences. Yeah. And I can't see that as a healthy thing. And I don't, I know that, you know, like, like I said earlier, I think we do prison wrong. And, and, and this is just another silly example of how ridiculous that could be. So who, who's the person to change that? Like if, if somebody, you know, who's the big dog in Minnesota who we could be like, Hey, big dog, this is dumb. Like for real, all the stuff you do, like we might not see the eye, eye to eye on everything, but this one thing right here is actually, you're, you're bringing people back because of it. Well, I'm appreciative that there is the out and the paperwork can be done and be signed. And, and they're so, yeah, I don't fight that fight. Yeah. I just do. Yes, sir. Sign yeah. the paperwork. And here you go. Yeah, man, you're better than I am. I don't, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you you go into prison voluntarily, and I went in un, uh, not voluntarily. There you go. <laughs> uh, I want to get something from my phone that I meant to get. I want to read something. Yeah. So I asked Dana the other day. Oh, good. here we go. <laughs> here we go. Mm-hmm. I sent her a text message. You know, I talk to Dana all the time. Um, and Dana is a fellow guide yeah. at EPP, and we spend a, probably more time together than I do with any other even family member that I have working on curriculum for EPP. <laughs> she, she sings your praises. We'll put it that way. And uh, yeah, she was on episodes, I think the last episode, actually, mm-hmm. uh, she and Camilla. So I was 
Um, I sent her a text and, uh, oh, you know, I was God, talking, here we talking go. about, it's not that bad. It's just, a, I don't even remember what she said. I just remember that I asked her and now I'm going to read the, 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 the message. She said that uh, I said, I'm, you know, we're talking about coming to Minnesota, talking to you feel blah, blah, blah. And I said, are there any fun questions uh, that I, uh, <laughs> this is my literal text. Any fun questions I should hit her with? And okay, then hit being the keyword. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tomato, <laughs> tomato. And, uh, and it's, I got a good long answer. Uh, she said, I don't know if this is relevant or how you could fit it in, but she and I were just talking about how sacred the bio process is mm. and receiving the student, um, receiving what the student gives us and then returning our offering. We both have a ritual. Um, da, 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 da. And she says, it's not a fun question. And the way that I worded it was, do you have anything fun to hit her with? But I, yeah. that's just my way of using euph- euphemism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, um, so that that was... She talks about the bio process and how sacred that is. And I guess you two recently had a conversation about it. So I'm, it's actually not a scary question. It's something that's, that I would, I would love to hear from you about. Yeah. I'd love to share about that. Um, Part of EPP's programming is that we ask students to do six pieces of homework and each one of them is required as well as attendance to get your completion certificate. And the most vulnerable one is asking people to turn in a bio, which is um, sharing at the level and comfort that they're interested in um, from age zero up until 18 or further if they choose. And I'm currently um, programming virtually in Colorado with a men's prison, and someone turned in um, over 30 pages in their bio. And I've handwritten. Yes. And um, I've had. Um, a gentleman in the UK turn in like three sentences, a fellow type five clay okay, yeah. that from day one said, I will, I'm not going to do the homework and I'm not going to talk in class, but I'll be here. And I'm like, great. We welcome you wherever you're at with that. And when he handed me that paragraph, I thought, oh, that's this, that's the work. He found himself um, valid enough, important enough, and safe enough to give us something to answer back to them. And the bios, um, the guides um, take the information, read through it, and then we answer back. Um, and these are some very tender stories. Um, whether you're inside or outside, we've all had trauma. That's how we get to have a personality in the (laughs) first place. And part of our curriculum, as well as the Enneagram, is talking about childhood trauma and how, how did we get there and what's toxic stress and what is our resiliency factors and holding all of that. And we do, um, an ACE test, which you talked about in a previous, um, podcast, which is um, 10 questions that ask specifically to score yourself on what your range is. And many of our students, um, it's a one through 10, are definitely five and over. Many are at 10. So to hold that pain and have it reflected back to them that often the traumas that happen to us in childhood is the garbage that we're carrying thinking is part of our reality and who we are today. And part of the healing is being able to look at that and set that down. And we didn't maybe get the mirroring or we didn't get um, a protective person or a nurturing person with us, whether that, and that can be a coach, that could be an aunt, it could be your caregiver. But this bio is a place um, that we reflect back from their personality type 
and um, Gabber Mate and Bessel Vanderkoff and other experts that um, support our EPP programming. And we hand that back to them and that can be um, a big turn in their healing. What kind of responses do you see in them when they, first of all, as an inmate, you're not heard very often. You're not, nobody gives a shit for the most part. Um, You have random people who care, but as just generally speaking, everybody in prison is having the worst day of their life. So good luck finding any sympathy or compassion or anything like that. So when you write a bio, when I write a bio and Mm -hmm. I give it to you, just the fact that I can write it down is, is one level of goodness. And then you're giving me something back that now somebody else has read it. They took the time and they've also written down things for me to, to read. So I can see where that is, you know, the word that Dana used in the text was sacred. Yeah. Um, and it's not a joke. That's not an exaggeration. That's the literal, that's what it is. And you're, you know, that's the beginning. That's, uh, this is very early in the class. This is, this usually is in class four so, of eight or three, three, three of eight is when we start asking. Mm-hmm. And every week there's a discussion at the beginning of class. Hey, anybody willing to turn in their bio this week? Like, and, and no, okay. Can you give me a reason yeah. why? Can we talk about that? So, um, the guides and the students themselves try to create a safe enough container that they can feel comfortable giving us whatever that is, a sentence mm-hmm. or 30 some pages. And um, we do ask to try to keep it between <laughs> three and five pages. Um, but for us as guides, um, what you're saying, I, I just hope people on the outside, can you even fathom thinking of some something that happened to you in childhood that maybe you've never told anyone, but mm-hmm. you keep that buried. Can can you imagine you haven't told anyone? Yeah. And you're on the outside and I'm asking you, you're in prison, not having the worst day of your life once, you're having the worst day of your life for years potentially. And this person comes in and says, I see you. I want to hear from you. And I will receive whatever you want to hand to me. And and reflect back to you what I know of the Enneagram. What I know is that as a childhood, this was as a child, this was not your fault. And it isn't about, oh, let's go blame someone else. That's not, no, that's not what it's about. It's looking at, so what have I held on to? And um, we're looking at unlocking why I do what I do. And this is the foundation of why we do everything. So that sacred process, because I kind of went on one angle, for guides, this is a big deal. It's a big part of our guide training as well, that are you able to receive what someone hands you? Because some people in prison that are handing you their bio, you're going to read some dark shit. Amen. And can you receive that? Can you hold that with unconditional positive regard? So in our training, we do talk, here's all the different crimes that you may sit in a room with. What is your bias? And don't tell me you don't have it, because mm-hmm. you do. And until I know what my bias is and where my stop gaps are, I'm not safe. I'm not going to be trustworthy. And, and that, that's, um, that's a beautiful thing to be able to offer to another human being. And maybe if we all would have had that safe person or auntie or coach or teacher or someone in our family, maybe we wouldn't be where we are, whether that be in prison 
or out in society holding my pain. How was it? We're we're at the end of the, uh, I haven't seen you look at the clock over my shoulder. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're grooving. <laughs> oh, I told you if you just talk about the Enneagram Prison yeah. project, this could go on and on. Yeah. We're and Can I just say one thing about the bio process? You can say anything and everything. We're, I have so much space on my computer to record okay. as long as you want to talk. <laughs> so, Dana bringing um this up is that um we have guides that are virtual um guides that are in live Mm -hmm. and people that are apprenticing and we have supportive calls every week that we meet and say how did it go did this go well this didn't go well so we're constantly supporting each other and um i was like hey how do you do it so if i i'm doing bios right now for my class and when i get that information um often i like to do it out of my house somewhere else because then i have a time frame it's like, okay, if I go there and do it, Suzanne, you have X amount of time to get through this much paperwork and then you go back home. Or if I am at home, it is a sacred thing and I may light a candle. I need to center myself and say a prayer. And can I find that unconditional space within myself? Because I don't know what I'm going to read and I want to be able to receive it and then answer back to it with my heart, from my head, what I know about the Enneagram and um and offer some hope to that person because we all have a divine spark inside of us and and enneagram um, our training we we talk about that and that's not something that i can take away from myself or anyone else can take away from me but to actually believe that is a big ask in prison as well yeah i think that takes some practice too to be able to read all that without judgment and to see the person instead of their crime and I'll say 100% I'm guilty of, of knowing what somebody did and, and rubbing shoulders with people in prison, knowing, knowing why they're there. And I struggle. I just do. And I don't like it. But it's, it's, for me, it's reality that I know what this guy did. And I, don't, I, don't, I struggle to see him. I, I see what he did. And it's, it's a process that I would expect. For me, I don't, I don't know. It's, people ask me a lot, why aren't you a guide, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a million reasons. Um, and that's, that's probably one of them is because I just, I, as a person, I struggle with that. But if you, I'd love to talk about that. Like Let's if <laughs> you had the opportunity for this person that you're rubbed up against and like, mm, I'm or not rubbed up against because yeah. you don't do that. Yeah, yeah. But this person that you're next to and you know their crime and, and it is un- uncomfortable at whatever for you. If you also had the opportunity for them to hand you a bio mm-hmm. and they told you what didn't happen in their home that should have, or what did happen there in their home and shouldn't have. And you heard that this little, the little person and the big person you're sitting next to the things that they've endured, maybe that would change. It could. I, 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 it's, it's the reason that when I go and talk to banks about bank security and how to, they want to do a Q and a with a bank robber. So they pay me to come in and do it in my PowerPoint presentation. The very first slide is I, I show them, this is what a future criminal looks like, by the way. And then I show them a picture of me when I was four years old in a little Olin Mills picture where I have the, <laughs> the blue sweater vest yeah. and this, you know, blonde hair and this adorable yeah. little child. This is the guy who's going to grow up and rob your bank. Um, so I, 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 I don't think, uh, I'm not there. I, it's just, just in total <laughs> honesty and transparency. I, it's it's a work for me too, 
it's hard to see people sometimes it's easy to see their crimes and it's something worth getting over for lack of a better phrase it's it's a process um you reminded me when i was in the uk um i had not been in a uk prison before and i guess i have a little bit of an accent (laughs) especially across the pond and i was talking about the divine spark and the men in this class were getting really irritated yeah. <laughs> and finally they're just like raise your hand just mom and like and he's like i don't have a divine spark inside of me what you're talking about that's my that's my little bastard inside of me but he said little bastard inside yeah. of me and i was like little bastard what's a little bastard oh god i don't know what he's <laughs> like tell me more and 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 he went on to just explain all of the horrific things that happened to him in his childhood, which is why he ended up in prison, is he was a father of three at the age of 16. And the only thing he knew to do was to go out and sell drugs to help raise his children. And he's like, so I understand the little bastard inside of me. And I'm like, Finally, I got it. He's like, he's saying bastard. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, are you saying a little bastard? And he's like, I am not... How did he say it? I am not um, a sheep. I'm not saying bastard. Oh, gosh. I'm saying bastard. And I'm like, okay. So then we had this. It was a very intense moment when he was talking about the little yeah. him, the little person inside of himself. And what you're saying, to you don't know that backstory. And that little bastard, I said, okay, if you get nothing else out of this class, by the end of the eight weeks... I hope you can own that you have a divine spark. That's it. I don't care if you know your type, you don't know your type. Can you walk away from here knowing I have that? And he came back on graduation and said, I found it in my children, Mm. so I must have it in me. And I was like, bingo. That was just such a beautiful, that was worth everything. The whole damn trip. Yeah. (laughs) That's got, that's very, that's got to be rewarding. Yeah. Gives you, gives you a case of the feel goods. Yes. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because that really was one of those moments where I was like, that's why we do this work. Amen to you. Take that little piece of yourself and remember and grow that. So going back to going to San Antonio in I think 2017 is what you said. And <laughs> yeah. You're just looking for a workbook. I just wanted a workbook. There's got to be somebody. Yeah. And so now here we are, you know, four plus years later, and obviously because nobody can see where we are, I'm I'm in your house. We're sitting at yeah. your kitchen table, and just just shooting just shooting the shit, as they say. And that's crazy. It's pretty wild. Because I I kind of come to Susan and have dinner, and then and Susan's like, yeah, and Clay will be here. And I mean, what's who's Clay? <laughs> oh, he's one of our ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Yeah. Men that have on the inside, they do the work, they get out, they continue with us. And um, I was the third wheel at the, the dinner and so were a few other people. Yeah, there was a bunch of wheels. And I was like, what is happening here? Like everyone is, um, That's that's that was part of my really curiosity this is too good to be true like i didn't trust what i was seeing although i wanted to like your connection to susan was like he has such respect for her and she's doing the enneagram and a little prison in texas and now epp is growing and then there's this person laura and she's in finland (laughs) using this and laura said you're coming to finland 
And I'm like, okay, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> and my passport is expired. Yeah. But she's like, yep, it's the end of July. We're having a conference in September. You'll be there. And, you know, sometimes people say something to you, and I'm like, oh, she's holding more truth on that than me, and let's just see. So I went home, thought, all right, I'm going to put my passport paperwork in, <laughs> and we'll just see. I'm not paying them the extra 65 bucks to expedite it, because if this is meant to be, it will. <laughs> Sent it in two weeks later, and I think we had eight weeks to figure it out. Two weeks later, it comes back, and I'm like, oh, my God, two weeks? The government doesn't get stuff back in two weeks. Yeah, it was a letter. Ma'am, you didn't put the check in there. Oh, gosh. And I was like, okay, this is an even bigger test because yeah. I'm still not paying that 60 bucks. I'm sending it back in. Clay, I got it like in time. Yeah. And so I called Susan. I'm like, hey, um, we've been in contact about you know getting things going here in Minnesota, and I want to come to Finland. I want to see, is this, is this really real? And she's like, you're going to come to Finland? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, I welcome you. She goes, if you come, I'll give you a workbook. And I'm like, ah, I get a trip to work, a trip and a workbook. I'm there. So I flew to California, flew with them over to Finland, and um, board members were there, and um, Susan's son was there, and Rick, the executive director, and Laura. And we went into the women's prison, and I was amazed how their staff knew the Enneagram. They knew the Enneagram. It's very different. It was like, this is blowing my mind. They had a sauna in the prison because it is Finland. And yeah, everybody do has that. a sauna. So. It was beautiful. And unfortunately, shortly after that, the women's prison, due to it being very very old, um, it was closed. But that, I was like, the, the, this is more than a workbook. This is my future. It's another t-shirt. An EPP. It's a thing. Write it the, down. On the back, it's more than a workbook. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there, there it is, Clay. Was it bad? Was it? I mean, it, it just flies by, doesn't it? Like we could do another hour if you want. It's We're not going to do two. another hour. But uh, yeah. thank you for thanks for letting me come and sit at your uh, at your table here. You are welcome kitchen. anytime. I'm going to give you the last word, as I, I like to do. Uh, no question, no prompt, no anything. I'm just going to leave the next however many seconds, minutes, hours you like to just say whatever's on your heart. Ooh, on my heart. You're asking a heart type. What's on my heart? Here we go. Another hour. Buckle up, people. No. <laughs> um, so any ears that have listened to this and any of our other podcasts, if this at all touches your heart or of interest, um, go to the EnneagramPrisonProject.org website. And I don't know if it's been mentioned that the program that we do in custody due to the pandemic now is being offered to the public. So we have an eight-week course called Nine Prisons, One Key that is our basic in-custody programming. And then we have a second course called Path to Freedom, which is 16 weeks long. And if you groove with both of those and you're like, I think I want to do this guide gig. Then we have a two month guide training um, that you would be invited to journey with us on. So if anything about this speaks to listeners, um, come on in. You belong. The water's warm. For more information about EPP, please visit EnneagramPrisonProject.org. 
We appreciate your time and attention today. Stay tuned for future episodes, which you can expect on the 12th of every month as we continue to tell the story of Enneagram Prison Project. <laughs>